All right, good morning. I want to start by acknowledging the uh, wonderful town of Sheridan, Indiana. <laughs> For her, because it, it didn't make our, our bumper video where we show Cicero and Arcadia in Atlanta. We love Sheridan, Christy, mostly because of you and your family, but uh, uh, we do love Sheridan. And um, we're, we're supposed to be doing the work of God there too. So there you go. That was because she complained about Sheridan not being in the video. <clears throat> so this is our fifth Sunday in this series where we're talking about this truth that we have been sent by God to the world around us to love people uh, in a way that points them to Jesus, right? But I want to kind of circle back to our tagline for this series because I, I think uh, I may have uh, understated this. So the tagline is that um, we are sent, and this is about the joy of living with purpose, the joy of living with purpose, and here's what I want us to, to know about our purpose is that our purpose is not to be great evangelists, right? That, that's actually not the purpose. It sounds like it is because you're saying, well, you're, you're saying that we're sent and we're supposed to go tell people the gospel, uh, the good news about Jesus. Yes, but the, the deeper purpose, uh, the, the thing that we have been made for, and the reason why God stamped his image on us from the very beginning of creation and then sent his son to die to redeem all of humanity, the, the purpose behind all of that, is so that we could participate with God in his kingdom. That, that's what it's really all about. God's kingdom is a place of healing and wholeness and new life and restoration. And he has invited us to participate with him in that kingdom. That's our purpose, is to be a part of the kingdom of God. And everything that that means, it means our relationship with our creator. It means our love for and our following of Jesus. It means our partnership with the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. So when we talk about being sent into the world, what, what we're saying is like everyone is invited into that kingdom. Jesus made that really clear. When he came, the, the summary of his message from Matthew chapter four is that he came to preach that uh, to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. And Jesus was inviting people and he was saying, I am making a way for you to be in the kingdom of God and to participate in the work of God. He even told his disciples to pray for that our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Jesus' vision was that the kingdom of God would begin to infiltrate and infuse and take over lives, relationships, that where something was broken, it would be made whole. This is why Jesus healed people and set people free. That, that was the picture of the kingdom of God at work. So that's our purpose. Our purpose is to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. And because we are citizens and partners with God in the work of his kingdom, we are then sent. We just see everyone around us as someone who has been invited by God into his kingdom. And we just wanna share the good news. You're invited. That's our job. So that's what we're sent to do. So as we continue to talk about being sent, I want us to keep that larger purpose in mind. We're partners with God in the work of his kingdom, bringing healing and wholeness and renewal and restoration to the world around us, just like Jesus did. We get to do that too. Okay, so um, what I, I want us to, the question I want us to ask this morning as we get started is what, what do you see? When you look around at the world, what do you see? That's a pretty vague question and uh, you know, a good communicator would probably uh, break that down into some more specific things, but I'm not gonna do that right now. Um, I'm gonna do it later. But I want us to think about in terms of like 
do we actually look around at the world we live in? And I don't mean that, I think when we say, what do you see in the world? You think globally. I want us to think really microscopically. What do you see in the world around you in, in your particular sphere of influence? And I think we just don't look around enough. I think, do you remember when smartphones just first became popular and you would see these videos of somebody walking down the street and then running into a street sign or a human being or a car because they're staring at their phone? Do you remember seeing those videos? Maybe you were in one of those videos uh, because this is what would happen. People would get so absorbed in, in this you know, device that they weren't looking around and paying attention to what was going on around them and they would bump into things. And I think as Christians, we do this all the time, just as humans, we do this. We get so zoomed in and focused on our own lives. And I'm thinking about my calendar and my schedule and my people and the things that I care about that I, I fail to look up and see what's around me. And I can miss a lot of opportunities because of that. We're going to dig into that a, a little more. But what, uh, what we want to learn to do today, and we're going to learn from the example of the Apostle Paul, is to look up, to look up and to learn so that we can love well. Because the problem with not looking up is we don't know how to love people well. In order to really love people well, we need to know people. We need to understand people. And we fail to love them well because we don't know them, because we're too focused on our own, on our own stuff. So part of being sent and part of participating with God in the work of his kingdom is to look up, pay attention to the people around us. Get to know them, understand them so that we can love them well and love them well in a way that points them to Jesus. Paul's great at this. So we're gonna look at an example from Paul in Acts chapter 17. Uh, so if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. You can follow along on the screen here in a moment. Um, when Paul uh, began traveling and uh, doing missionary work. Uh, he had a certain pattern, a rhythm. He would go to a synagogue first and he would tell uh, the Jews uh, there that Jesus, had, uh, Jesus was the Messiah and that he was crucified and rose from the dead. Some of them liked it. Some of them really, really didn't like it. And uh, often Paul would get run out of town because of this message about the good news of Jesus. Um, and it was the Jews that would run him out of town typically because they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So uh, Paul is, is in Acts chapter 17, Paul is in a, a particular city, the city of Athens, because he's been run out of a couple towns north of Athens. And he's kind of making his way south to try to find a, a place where, where he can actually hang out and stay for a while. Uh, he doesn't stay long in Athens. In fact, as far as we know, he, he has this encounter in Acts 17 and, and that's all that, that happens in Athens. He moves on from there to Corinth where he stays for a pretty long time. So he's just passing through this city, and I want us to read uh, what Paul experiences while he's there in this, uh, in this city. Um, so this will be on the screen. I invite you, if there are words that are underlined on the screen, to read those uh, aloud with me, or yeah, on your own. So while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. 
Okay, Paul goes on from there. They invite him to this meeting and he goes on from there to preach a pretty great sermon, which we're not gonna have time to get into today. But I encourage you to pick up here, read Paul's sermon that he actually preaches to. Uh, these are like the, the lead philosophers and, and educators in Athens. And it's, it's pretty great. But I want us to focus on what gets him to that point. How does he get to the place where he has an audience with the most influential thinkers in this city? And it's not just any city. I mean, Athens was, you know, the, the Boston, Massachusetts of, of its day. It was a center for education. There are more colleges and universities in Boston than any other city in the country. And it was an educational center. It was a center for philosophy. And it had been for hundreds of years by the time Paul gets there. This is deeply ingrained in, in uh, how this city really functions, why people go there is to, to learn and to talk about new ideas. And how does Paul get invited to speak at this most influential group of thinkers in the whole city. Uh, let's, let's take a look at that. So first of all, we, we see that Paul is greatly distressed because the city is full of idols. Well, how does he know that? He's looking around, right? Paul, Paul is engaging with the city. He's, he's looking around and he's paying attention and he's evaluating what he sees. He's, he's not just just blindly looking for, I mean, he's on the run because every other town he's gone to, they've, the Jews have kicked him out. So, I mean, he could be just kind of hunkered down, looking for a safe place, waiting for his friends to get there. But no, he's looking around. And why does it distress him that the city is full of idols? Why, why can't Paul just leave it alone and say, look, this is their culture. This is the way that they were raised. This is sort of how they were brought up was to do religion this way. I mean, who am I to really tell them that it's wrong? You know, why shouldn't I just leave them alone and let them go about their business and, and do things how their parents taught them to do things? Why does, why does he get involved? Why, why does this distress him so much? Well, well, some people would say that Paul is distressed because idolatry is just wrong. It's evil. And, and, and whenever Paul sees something evil, he gets upset. Well, maybe. I think, it's, I think it's something deeper than that because of the way he acts. I think Paul's distressed because he cares. He actually cares about these strangers in this foreign city. He cares about them. He looks at all these idols and he just knows this is not the way. This, they have such spiritual hunger and it's not gonna be satisfied through worshiping idols. Paul knows this and he cares about them because Paul has been taught by Jesus to see the image of God in every human. He knows that every human in the city of Athens is someone Jesus died for. Every single person, man, woman, child, has been invited into the kingdom of God. And this, this idolatry is a huge obstacle to them participating in the life God created them for. I think Paul deeply cares about them. That's why he's distressed. It's, it's, he doesn't come in as a judge, jury, and executioner and saying, this is evil, this is wrong, you guys need to knock it off. He's not going around knocking over idols and disrupting things and, and trying to put an end to their religion. No, what does he do? Well, first he goes to the synagogue and he has conversations about this with the Jews and, and God-fearing Greeks who are there. And then he goes to the marketplace, the place where just the regular people hang out, where you go and it's where you, you know, do all your shopping. And it was, it was the cultural, the social center of the city. And Paul just goes there and he just talks to people. And he says, well, what do you think about this? And why do you do this this way? And, and you know, how, how, many, you know, how many gods are there? I mean, Paul is, is on an exploration process and you'll see in his sermon later, he actually does know like all the, the gods that they're worshiping, they're, they're there are hundreds, maybe thousands of them. There was an ancient um, 
historian who wrote that at, during this time, uh, if you went to Athens, you would meet more gods than people. Let's, let's say how many gods there were uh, in Athens. And so Paul sees all of this and he brings it up later, but he's engaging in conversation with them. And this begins to draw some attention because this is a city where new ideas are really welcome. People really wanna hear about this stuff. Some people call him a babbler. And the the Greek term there means uh, that they think he's just kind of parroting things that other people have said. He's just kind of bringing in ideas from other different places and and forming them together uh, into and and passing it off as his own idea. Uh, Others say that he's, he's advocating foreign gods because he's talking about Jesus and the resurrection from the dead. And they don't know about Jesus. Jesus is not one of the gods that they worship. And so who is this Jesus? What is, what is he talking about? Resurrection? That's not a, a common concept for uh, the Greeks. And so maybe, maybe this is a new God. And this was something that, that people could do. You could come to Athens and you could make a case for a new God. In, in their worldview, their belief system, everything in life was controlled by the gods. Everything. And the gods were kind of fickle and unpredictable. And if you wanted a good life, you had to find a way to make the gods happy with you. So there, there was a God like, you know, of the sky and of the earth, but there was also a God of the breakfast and the walking to work and the, you know, the commute. There was a God for everything. There was, you know, you, you name it and there was a God for it because whatever they did, they wanted it to be blessed by the gods. And so they'd offer these sacrifices. So if there was a gap in their knowledge of the gods, they wanted to know about it. They wanted to make sure they filled it. And so people could come and, and present new ideas to, you know, maybe there's a new God that you guys haven't thought of. That, that's what they think Paul is doing. But what we'll see later is that that's, that's actually not, not what Paul's doing. He's talking about the God, the God uh, above everything who, who started creation and begun all of this and invites humans into this partnership, into this relationship. But, but Paul talks to people in such a way that they begin to ask questions. They say, we want to know more about this. Now, if Paul had come in guns blazing saying, hey, you guys are, uh, are awful, you're evil, you're ignorant, you're uneducated, you're just wrong, would they have leaned into that and wanted to know more? Would they have been, you know, when somebody tells you you're wrong about something, do you say, ooh, say more about that? Is that typically your response? No, we're like, I actually don't want to hear that. I don't want to, I don't want to hear you telling me how wrong I am about stuff. No, so Paul must be engaging with them in a way that invites conversation. He's, he's trying to have dialogue. He's not trying to force his way in or force his views. He's he comes with this posture of curiosity and questions and presenting the truth of Jesus and the resurrection as an alternative to the way that they think. And so the end result is they want to know more. They want to know more. Guys, this is what, this is what I want to happen in our lives all the time. I want the people around us to want to know more about why we are the way we are, why we follow Jesus. Why do you, why do you waste your Sunday mornings getting up and going to a, a, a dusty old building and singing dusty old songs? They don't know that our building's not dusty and our songs are really pretty cool. Like, they don't know all that. But they, like, why would you do that? Why would you waste your time doing that? People wanna know more. I wanna live the kind of life where people are asking me, quite, what, what it, tell me more about this belief system that you have because it's, it's got my interest. It's, I'm intrigued by this. I, I need to understand it better. That's what I, I want to do. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about how to, how to make that happen. 
when uh, last week we talked about how specifically to connect with people who grew up in church, had some maybe familiarity with the Bible or with Jesus, but at, are at a point in their lives where they've said Christianity is not for me. So if that's the kind of people that you know and you interact with a lot, uh, you need to listen to last week's sermon. Um, this week, I wanna talk a little bit more about people who did not grow up at church, probably don't have a lot of familiarity with the Bible or with Jesus, but, at, but they've just never, they just never heard, they've never you know, gotten engaged with Christianity and uh, they don't really think about it. It's something that's just not for them and it's not really on their radar. Um, how do we engage with those people and uh, invite them into life with Jesus? Because that's what, that's what we're trying to do. Well, first we need to be aware that we might make some assumptions about people that are incorrect. We might make some assumptions about people that didn't grow up in church, really have never really engaged with Christianity. We might make some assumptions about them that aren't true. And some of these are the same assumptions we make about people who did grow up in church. We may assume that they don't know the gospel. If they've never been to church, we may assume they've never heard the gospel. Is that, is that possible? Sure. Is it for sure? I mean, can you know for sure? No. And, and what happens if we guess wrong? What, what happens if we guess wrong? If, if we make an assumption about somebody and uh, we, it turns out that we're wrong, at some point, we're gonna do something that creates an obstacle in our relationship. We're gonna do something that creates an obstacle in our relationship. So we can't risk guessing wrong because we don't wanna create obstacles. We, we wanna open doors. We wanna build bridges so people will ask, hey, what is this? Tell me more about this. I'm, I'm curious. I wanna hear more about this. So we have to uh, recognize our assumptions and make sure that we're not acting on anything that we've just guessed at and we don't actually know for sure. So we, maybe they have heard the gospel, maybe they haven't. Maybe they believe in God, maybe they don't. People that have never gone to church might still believe in God. Isn't that possible? Sure it is. I mean, we can't assume, right? Maybe they don't, maybe they do. But if we make an assumption and we're wrong, we're gonna create an obstacle. Maybe they don't care what God thinks. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't wanna talk about spiritual things. Maybe they do. Maybe they've really thought this through and they've come to a very logical and reasonable position. Maybe they haven't. Maybe they haven't thought it through at all. We don't know. That's, that's kind of my point. We just don't know. And if we guess about these things, if we make assumptions about these things, some, sometimes um, we actually avoid talking to people about spiritual things because we have decided in our minds that they're not interested. We've made some judgments based on things that we've seen on the outside. Well, they don't go to church, so I, I don't think they're interested in talking about God. Or, you know, I, you know, I see certain things in their lifestyle that makes me think they don't really care what God thinks. And we're just guessing. And when we guess, we're creating obstacles. And it, and it prevents us from really... Uh, learning about them so that we can love them well. So I wanna talk about a couple ways we can do this. And some of these are repeats from last week because it's just not that complicated. I, I just didn't make up new, th I, I couldn't make up new things for us to do. They're, it's all really pretty simple. Uh, so we'll do some review, but I wanna put a twist on this first one. Uh, to look up and learn so we can love well, uh, we wanna begin with kindness. We wanna begin with kindness. We talked about this last week, Peter and John healing a lame man. Here's what I, I, I wanna put a twist on this this morning. It's called the, the Ben Franklin Method. Ben Franklin tells a story about a guy that he did not get along with at all uh, in Philadelphia. They were not friends. They did not like each other. They did not see things the same way. But Ben Franklin wanted a friendship with this guy. He at least wanted them to be able to have a conversation. So he knows that the guy has a, a library in his home that he's very proud of. So he asks him if he could borrow a book. He said, can I, can, I know you have this book in your home. Can I borrow that book? 
And the guy says, uh, okay, sure, why not? So he loans the book. Franklin reads it, takes it back to him and says, that was great, thanks so much. Do you, like, do you have this other book? Can I borrow that, this other? And the guy's like, well, yeah, sure, absolutely. Help yourself, you know? And before long, they're actually trading books back and forth and having conversations and they form a friendship. And here's, here's his takeaway from that. Franklin says that sometimes... If we want to make a connection with somebody, a good way to do that is to ask them for a favor. Ask them for a favor. Now, that feels kind of backwards for us as Christians because we're taught to lead with kindness. No, we do for them. We're the ones who give. We're the ones who provide. We're the ones who meet needs. But if you have a relationship in your life where you're always the giver, there is an imbalance in that relationship. It's not an equal relationship. There's an imbalance. You've put someone else in the position of being always the receiver in your relationship, right? Let me ask you this. Do you like the idea of always being the receiver in a relationship? I don't think any of us do. I think we like to think that we have something to give as well. If we wanna create mutual equality in a relationship with somebody, maybe, just maybe, a good way to do that is to ask for a favor. Ask your neighbor to do something small. Don't ask them to loan you $1,000, okay? Let's just ask for something small, that you actually need, don't fake it, don't go over and ask for a cup of sugar if you have a pound of sugar in your home, okay? That's not what we're talking about. But something you actually need that could actually you know, be a good thing for you, just ask your neighbor for a favor. Maybe ask your neighbor to help you out um, with some yard work if, they're, if they can do that kind of thing. Or um, to provide just, I don't know, there's a lot of different ways. Actually, I'd be interested to hear your ideas. Some of you probably have stories of this. But I know that when someone asks you for a favor and you're able to, to do it pretty easily, it makes you feel pretty good, doesn't it? Well, don't we wanna share that kind of feeling in our relationships with other people? So here's just an idea. If you're looking to make a connection with somebody, ask them for a small favor. That's a way to begin with kindness that's kind of backwards that we may not think of. And you can blame Ben Franklin if it doesn't work, okay? Okay, second, uh, be curious. As we said before, there's just no way to know where people are spiritually without asking them. So we're not gonna make assumptions about whether they believe in God or whether they care what God thinks or if they know anything about the Bible. We're just gonna ask them. You're like, well, that's awkward. So is guessing wrong, right? It's, it's also awkward to guess wrong about, about these things. So it's better to ask. Push through the awkwardness. Maybe it is a little bit, but we're gonna be curious. We're gonna take this posture. This is what Paul did in Athens. He was curious. He asked around. He talked to people. He really understood. He gained an understanding enough of what they believed so that when he goes to preach this sermon at the Areopagus, I mean, it's pretty spot on. It's very specific uh, in tackling some of the issues in that culture. Um, and so the only way he gets there is through curiosity. So we need to be curious about people and we need to focus on Jesus. Paul never misses a chance to tell people that Jesus Christ died for their sins and rose from the dead. He says it every single sermon. He never misses a chance to do that. And it was the most controversial thing he said ever. But he always said it because it's it's all about Jesus. Sometimes when we're talking to people that didn't grow up in church and they have some skepticism about the Bible or about Christianity, it's easy for us to get distracted about controversial topics. Is the Bible really reliable? Um, or I don't understand how, how you can say that there's one God, but then there's three gods. You know, we have this concept of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Well, that doesn't make sense. I don't understand that. And we can really get caught up in a lot of controversies. Well, what do you guys really believe about how creation happened? And do you think a man was really swallowed by a fish and spent three days inside? And we can really get caught up in just debating some things that may or may not lead them to the kingdom. 
Paul focused on Jesus. In fact, he said, he summarized his message to the Corinthians one time. He said, I just preach Christ and him crucified. That's really all I do. And that's all we need to do is just keep the conversation focused on Jesus. Now, if somebody's gonna be a disciple of Jesus, we need to go there. We need to go there with all the other conversations too. We need to have a deep understanding of who God is through scripture. But for people that are, are skeptical or this is foreign to them, I mean, we just need to, what do you believe about Jesus? That really is the heart of the question. So this is what we do. We, we look around. Here's what Jesus said. We went over this story a few weeks ago from John chapter four, the, the woman at the well. Do you guys remember that? Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman he's not supposed to be talking to. They have this great conversation. And then she goes back to tell everyone in her town that the Messiah is here. And while she's gone, Jesus has this little aside conversation with his disciples. They're, they're, they've come back uh, to see Jesus at the well. They've brought some food and they're trying to get Jesus to eat. They're kind of mothering him. Do you ever have somebody do that? Like, oh, you just, you look hungry. You haven't eaten in a while. You really need to eat something. Will you eat? This is my, my mom does this to my kids, you know? You, you gotta eat something, right? This is what the disciples are doing to Jesus. They're kind of mothering him. And here's what Jesus says in, in John 4, 34. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. This is a very important conversation Jesus is having with these guys because he's talking to them about their role in the kingdom. And he says, you guys, sometimes you're just gonna get to go and harvest work other people have done. But you're not gonna get to that if you don't look up. See, see what he says there? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. You have to open your eyes and look around and see that there are people all over the place that God has been pursuing with his love. And maybe someone else has already done some work of planting some seeds and watering those seeds. And you get to come along and you just get to tell them about Jesus and see them accept his invitation. But you'll miss it if you're looking down, if you're focused on your own life. And at this moment, they're focused on their, their hunger, right? Which that gets me too. You know, sometimes that's all I can think about is what, where, where's my next meal coming? And do I have any dollars on my Chick-fil-A account? And like, sometimes that's what I'm thinking about. But Jesus is like, like food is so less important than this. Look up, look around, look at the people all around us. He's talking about this village that this Samaritan woman is going to to tell them about Jesus. He's saying, These people are ripe for harvest, there's been some work done ahead of you and you just get to tell them. You just get to tell them the good news. Don't miss it. If you're so focused on this meal right now, you're just gonna miss it. And so uh, Jesus is in inviting us, I think, to look up and learn. Uh, so a few things that, that we need to learn. So I told you, like, what do you see? I, you know, I posed the question, what do you see? And uh, pointed out that that's a very vague question. So let's talk about what exactly is it that we're looking for um, when we're looking up at the people around us. Just a few things. We're gonna go through these real quick. Uh, so maybe um, jot these down or take a picture of the screen or something. Uh, so we're looking up to see what God is doing in the lives of others. We believe that God is at work in other people's lives. God's not waiting on us to go and pursue people with his love. He is already doing that with the people that we care about. He's already working. How, how can we see God at work in their lives? 
How can we see evidence that maybe seeds have been planted in their lives before we ever come along? What is God doing in their lives? It's helpful for us to know that. What are their needs? What, what do they actually need? What do they care about? What do they value? What's important to them? This is important for us to know. Uh, what brings people together? When these people, how do they spend their free time? Like that's an important question to know. It's an important question to know about ourselves because how we spend our free time says a lot about what's important to us, doesn't it? Because our time for most of us is our most valuable commodity, isn't it? That calendar, oh man, that, that's really the, the testimony of, of what we care about. And so what are the people around us? What do they care about? How do they spend their time? What brings people together? And then what makes people think about God? What makes people think about God? The easy answer to this is crisis, isn't it? Tragedy. And we hate to see that, but it's so true. When people experience crisis, a lot of times it, it really turns their thoughts to God. We need to pay attention to that, right? So when we look up and look around, uh, we're looking for these things. So here's what I wanna invite you to do, just kind of as an action step. Um, I need reminders for this. So I set this up already on my phone. I've been getting a reminder every Monday morning at 7.30 and it just says, hey, don't forget to look up and look around so you can love people well this week. I wanna invite you to get that same reminder. And you can do that if you would text the word look to this number on the screen. Uh, It will send you a reminder every Monday morning at 7.30 that says, hey, don't forget to look up and look around so you can love people well this week. And you can refer back to some of these notes and get some um, examples or or guidance on how to do that. But I just wanna invite you to do that with me uh, because I need that sometimes. I I, I get really zeroed in, focused in, absorbed in my own stuff. And I, I just need that little nudge sometimes. So this is, a, this is a service, I don't, you know, no, no, nobody's gonna use this to try to sell you anything. This is just, this is just a free reminder uh, to look up and look around, okay? So I invite you to do that. Um, as we close, I wanna share with you uh, that I, what, what I think this can look like in, uh, in, just, in, in just the lives of, of regular people, okay? I think sometimes we think, well, you know, man, I'm really gonna have to change. I'm gonna have to become a different kind of person to to be the one who loves people into the kingdom. And it's just, it's just not that complicated. So uh, I wanna share with you the story of uh, Eric and Jenny Rusa and how they do this uh, in their own home. And hopefully it'll inspire you. And the kind, of, the, the kind of actions that they're doing, we're gonna talk more about next week. So this would be a good sort of teaser for next week. I want you to um, just listen to Eric and Jenny talk about this for a minute. I'm Eric Rusa. Hi, I'm Jenny Rusa. We've been married for 27 years and we've been attending CCC for 20 years. So we like to invite people to our home and we invite our neighbors, we invite um, people that we've met at church or just whoever the Spirit leads. How I feel like the Spirit leads us is just that nudge or that, um, hey, they seem a lot of fun. Let's, let's get to know them. We have some things in common. So how we think people feel blessed uh, by us is the way that we just get to know them and listen, um, the way we can hear their needs. Uh, so we might notice that somebody needs some work on their car and maybe that's something Eric and the boys can help them with or they need a ride uh, for their kid um, to, to and fro practice. Um, so we just wanna help them in that way. So when we feel people receive um, generosity and hospitality, we just feel like they're blessed by that. So practicing hospitality and generosity has helped us build trusting relationships with other people and just great friendships and has really helped us be able to share how God um, has loved us and what all he's done for us with others. A cool story when we were practicing generosity, we were helping somebody with their car and 
they insisted that they pay us back and we wouldn't let them. Um, you know, God blessed us. A couple days after that, we got a refund check for the exact amount that we paid into this car. And, you know, it doesn't happen like that all the time. It was a pleasant surprise. So if you're thinking about trying out generosity and it seems a little scary or intimidating, um, something we do is just, we kind of meet people, we get excited about getting to know them more and we invite them to coffee. We invite them over for whatever might be in the fridge, leftovers, a burger on the grill, or maybe a formal invitation in a couple of weeks to a nice dinner. Um, it's just kind of what we do. I'm Eric Russo. Hi, I'm Jenny Ru All right, we might need to watch it again. I don't know, but we're gonna move on. Uh, for now. So did any of that sound like rocket science to you? Was that like really complicated? Did they present themselves as like, like theological Bible scholars? They do know scripture pretty well, but like, that's not what you got from that, right? This is not that complicated. Did, did you hear things where you thought, well, like, I could do that? Yeah, of course. I'm sure this is what we're talking about. Like what we want to do is just be intentional. If, if it's true that, that God's kingdom this place of healing and wholeness, new life and restoration is available to every human. Don't you want everybody to have that? Don't you want everybody to live in that reality? And if we're just intentional and, and we see ourselves as those who have, have been sent to those around us to love them well, all we gotta do is pay attention. All we gotta do is pay attention and, and use the things that God has given us. God, has, he gave the Russes this really hard for hospitality. Maybe that's not your heart, but you have another way that you would do that. Just be intentional about it, and the Holy Spirit can work through that, and, and I think people see Jesus in that. So we're going we're gonna to close with uh, a word of prayer. Would you stand? I just want to invite you to pray about this with me and, and maybe start thinking about, like, who's, your, who's the one? Who's the one that you've been sent to? Again, we're not asking you to reach 100 people or 1,000 people. It's, it's hard to, to love well that many people at once, but maybe there's one. Maybe you're sent to one. And who is that? And ask God to just nudge you through his Holy Spirit how you can love them well. Maybe it's just an opportunity to look up and learn a little bit more about them. Maybe there's some action you can take, but just bring that before the Father as we close this morning. God, thanks so much for the example of Paul and the way that we learn from him how to pay attention to the people around us so we can love them well. And I, I just ask God that you would um, give us courage through your spirit to follow through on whatever uh, you put in front of us to do. And help us just to care enough about the people uh, in our path that we will pause, we will take time, uh, we'll engage with them uh, in ways that reflect the nature and character of Jesus. Would you do that in us and through us, Father? And whatever harvest comes, God, you get the glory for all of that. In Christ's name, amen. Amen, God bless you. Go and be salt and light in a world that desperately needs Christ.